Thank you for that. And we're so thankful for our Kids Zone and nursery volunteers systematically teaching the kids the Bible week in and week out. Thank you, Greg, for grabbing the podium for me. This morning we're talking about the good life. Ecclesiastes has quite a lot to say about the good life and quite a lot to say about how to live the good life. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about three ways in particular to live the good life. Maybe think of a cheeseburger, three essential parts of a cheeseburger. Just wondering, <laughs> Michael's looking at me like, I don't know either, dude. So uh, I'm just going to make sure my laptop is on. Yeah, I'm good down here, Michael. So I guess you keep working on it, and uh, I will try not to get distracted. As I was saying, there's three essential parts to a cheeseburger. Talking about the good life, three essential parts to the good life. There is the bun, and there is the patty, and there is the cheese. So think of like three essential parts to living the good life from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And so as we look at this, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, we do pray that you would meet us in this text. And Lord, help us see and believe what the text says, and Lord, I pray that you would help me not to get in the way, and Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you would talk over me while I talk to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. We read, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Okay, was anybody paying attention? Did you hear that? The day of death is better than the day of birth? How on earth can that be true? What the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to argue is that there is more to learn from the day of death than the day of birth. You will learn more about the good life. You'll learn more about how to live right now contemplating the day of death than you will the day of birth. And he says, it's better, better the day of death than the day of birth, like better to have good character than smell nice. If you smell terrible, if you smell great, but have terrible character, everyone kind of doesn't like you anyway. So it's better. So he's talking about the good life here and talking about how the day how we can learn from death. So here we are in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. How many, I mean, look, 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know you kind of, in your heart, disagree with that. Would you rather go to a funeral lunch where there's mourning or go to a birthday party where there's feasting and happiness? And he's saying, there's more to learn at a funeral lunch than there is at a birthday party. Both are good, but there's more to learn. He's pleading with us to learn from mourning. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living lay it to heart. Verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The heart of the wise, they go and they sit with those who are weeping. The heart of the fools, they prefer a comedy club. And he's saying there is more to learn from sitting with the weeping than there is at the comedy club. Again, this is so countercultural because we want to escape pain, we want to escape sadness, we want to escape sorrow, and he's telling us there is more to learn from grief than there is from flippant escapism. This is the point here in verse 5. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools, for as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. So he's saying, look, you're going to come to the conclusion, or you're more likely to come to the conclusion that comedy, I'm sorry, that escapism, that escapism is empty. You're more likely to come to the conclusion that escapism is empty sitting at the hospital with a loved one than you are going to a beach with friends. Can you see that? Sitting in the hospital waiting room, you're more likely to sort out your priorities than you are at the beach. Verse 7, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. He's saying, if you're planning this funeral service for a loved one, you're more likely to sort out your moral compass than you are if you're planning a party. You're more likely to come to the conclusion that even wisdom can rust if you're facing death and if you're facing sorrow and if you're facing grief. So please, 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 if you want to love, live the good life, don't keep hiding and trying to escape from pain and grief. Verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. He's saying if you're standing around at a viewing, talking to sad, hurting, broken, grieving people, you're more likely to come to the conclusion that following through is better than a fast start than you are if you're standing around at a tailgate. There's a time to stand around and enjoy at a tailgate. There's a time to stand around at a viewing. And he's saying when you're standing around at the viewing, you're more likely to get your priorities sorted out and decide that following through is better than a fast start. Verse 9, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart 
of fools. He's saying if you're sitting at a funeral, you're more likely to figure out that anger is addictive and you need to do something about it than you are sitting through a summer blockbuster. Verse 10, Say not, why were the former days better than these? Man, I can't tell you how many times I've heard something like that. <laughs> oh, I just wish the, things aren't the way they used to be, right? Yeah, back in the day, that's right. I remember when I was a boy. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Standing at a graveside, you're more likely to come to the conclusion that discontented nostalgia will not help you in the present age than you are standing around at a class reunion. There's a time for both. Ecclesiastes is clear. Enjoy both. But please, 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 if you want to live the good life, number one, if you want to live the good life, number one, learn Depth from death. That's what he's saying again and again and again through these Proverbs. If you want to live the good life, learn depth from death. Please stop running away and hiding from pain. Please stop running away and trying to escape from grief. Please stop running away and hiding from tears that is where you're going to become deep. Unless you prefer to stay shallow. I mean, shallow is an option, but is shallow the good life? I think you'd say the people that you want to emulate are deep. Well, the way they got deep is by facing down their pain, facing down their fears, having the struggles they need to have. So look, if your friends, if your loved ones are in the hospital, please go see them in the hospital. If your friends, your loved ones are sitting and grieving, please don't run away from that. Please sit with them and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. This is the way to a deep, flourishing life. This is something you have to decide for. It's something you have to choose. Choose to pursue depth through grief, through pain. You're going to choose to pursue depth, okay, if you want the good life. Number two, let's keep going here in verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. Okay, we're going to see a really, really, really controversial verse that you're really going to disagree with later on, and it's going to say, do not become overly wise. You know, don't become too wise. Becoming too wise is not good for you. And you're going to be like, I just disagree with that, because there's going to be other stuff you disagree with in here. But in the, what I want you to see now is that wisdom is good. Okay, I just want you to see the author of the Ecclesiastes is saying outright, wisdom is good and something to be pursued. Verse 12, for the protection of wisdom... Hey, is wisdom good? Yes. Does wisdom protect? Yes. Wisdom will even protect you from some stuff. It will. Like, you'll know, oh, I'm not going to make that deal. You know, there was a day when I would have, but I can show you my wounds. I'm wiser now. I'm not going to make that deal again. 
There's a day when I would have believed that. I'm not going to believe that now because I'm wiser now and I have the pain and the history and the memories to prove it. Right? There is protection and wisdom. Okay? For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Does wisdom protect you? That's what it says. You're going to disagree with the verse coming up, though. But I'm just telling you now, wisdom does preserve and protect. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Okay, so, so I, if I had my PowerPoint up there, you would be able to see the tree on the one end of the screen, which represents the Garden of Eden, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And I would remind you that we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. And so there's pain and there's sorrow and there's suffering because we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore. And then you'd see a tree on the other side representing the tree of life in Revelation chapter 22 where the nations eat of the tree of the life and it's for the healing of the nations and everything is right and whole and good. And what he's talking about is our propensity or our desire to want to either recreate the garden where there's no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. Our lives are this perfect little sacred little space and everything is right and good and whole if we can just control it enough. Or our desire to want to reach forward to heaven and pull it in the future and try to live in heaven right now. And he's saying... You can't. You can't. You can't make straight what God has made crooked. You can't go back to Eden and you can't go forward to heaven. You're living between the trees. So stop trying to control your life because you can't. So that's the burden of verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. I'm going to read that again. And I want you to, I want you to join me here. Okay, so really think about this. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Okay? Really, truly raise your hand this time. Who, who agrees with that? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Yeah, I mean, that's been like the constant message of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy life with gratitude. The way to enjoy life is being thankful for life. Just, in, just enjoy life. The good life is receiving the gifts of God with gratitude. Everybody here, I think, would agree with that on one level or another. Now, look at the next phrase. And in the day of adversity, consider... Okay, so what's a day of adversity? Well, that's when you lose your job. Well, that's when you get the diagnosis. Well, that's when your dreams, you realize, are not going to come true. That's when, you know, like I, I talked about that this week with our, with our study group. It's when we had, our, we had a stillborn son. Nine, nine months, you know, in the womb, he's like, a couple days past due, and we went up, and Cheyenne heard the heartbeat in the morning. Everything seemed fine. We went back to have the baby that evening and couldn't find a heartbeat, and, and uh, he was born still. 
It's a day of adversity. Now, I really would have disagreed with this next phrase, on the day of adversity, and I think you would too. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. Wow. In the day of prosperity, when everything is going right and the sun is out and it looks like your dreams are coming true and everything is coming around, rejoice. In the day of adversity, when everything is going wrong, when you're holding a cold, dead baby, when you don't know if the sun will ever come out again and you're sitting in a puddle of grief, consider the Lord has made one as well as the other. The Bible has a stubborn shape to it. You know, there's been times in my life when I've really wanted to protect God. I always want to give God credit for the good times and say, well, praise the Lord, that's wonderful. I always, but I also have wanted to protect God from the bad times and say, well, God didn't want that to happen or God didn't... But what are your options? What are my options? You know, what are your options when things really go bad? I mean, I'm talking about me. You think about you. When something really bad happens, when the worst thing happens, happens, what are your options? Are you going to say, well, creation is just a little bit out of God's control? So this happened and God was helpless to stop it? Is that what you're going to say? It's not what I'm going to say. I mean, that's not what the Bible would say. Are you going to say, well, Satan won this one? Like Satan got by God and pulled a fast one on God and God didn't see that one coming? Satan threw, slipped through God's fingers? Is that what you're going to say? It's not what I'm going to say. I mean, the Bible would say Satan's on God's leash. Your option is, man, God and his wise providence brings hard things into our life sometimes. And according to Romans chapter 8, here's the thing. He's grieving along with us. He's groaning along with us. You're groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning along with you. You have to remember, God knew what the garden was like. You can only dream about it. God knows what heaven will be like. We can only speculate. God knows how good everything can be and should be. He hates us as much as we do, but he's in control of it, and he's, he brings stuff into our lives for our benefit so that we become more and more like Jesus. Looking at the whole Bible. So what can we do? Well, let's finish the verse. In verse 14, In the day of prosperity be joyful, in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Wow. Here's what you want. Here's what I want. I want a godlike knowledge of the past. So I want to completely understand what happened in the past so that I can completely understand and predict what will happen in the future. I want to know what happened that would cause this to happen or that to happen so that I can control the future outcomes. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, that's a recipe for insanity. 
you are not going to have godlike ability to know the past or godlike ability to predict the future. So what you must do to live the good life is just, number two, rest in his rule. All you, what you're going to do is, number two, you're going to rest in his rule. Because it's not for you to know why that stuff happened, and it's not for you to know what's going to happen in the future. It's not for you to know. But what is for you to do is to receive that life that comes from just resting in his rule, saying God has a good plan. I don't understand it, I can't predict it, but I know it's good because I know he's good. So, number one, the good life learns depth. It is deep. It learns depth from death. It learns depth from pain. It learns depth from not escaping, not hiding, going fully into our grief so that we can develop from it. Number two, the good life rests in God's rule. So on the day of prosperity, it's joyful because it's not trying to control the situation to keep prospering. It's just enjoying the goodness that God has flowed into our life, and it also is able to rest in adversity because it knows a good God is in control. Number two, it rests in God's rule. Number three, verse 15, in my vain life, I have seen everything. That's quite a statement. That's only a statement an author of the Bible can make. I mean, I would never be comfortable making that statement, but, you know, in my vain life, I've seen everything. Here's the thing. You've seen this before, and it's been frustrating to you. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. Okay, so I don't know what you think a good diet is. You know, lots of people, different people have different opinions. Let's say, let's pretend for a minute that you think a good diet is lean protein and vegetables. So let's say, on the one hand, there is a person that eats nothing but lean protein and vegetables for their entire life and is morally upright, like just morally pristine. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. He... She eats nothing but lean protein, vegetables, is morally perfect, and dies at the age of 30. Then, there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. There is a mafia boss who orders hits and is utterly corrupt, eats nothing but bad stuff, whatever you define bad stuff is, lives off Twinkies, lives to 95. And you're looking at this going, that is not right. How does he get to live and she die? Life should be more predictable than that. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing Be not overly righteous. Okay. Time to wake back up. If you are asleep, I'm just, welcome back. No problem. I drift off too sometimes. You know, hopefully not when I'm preaching, but I do drift off sometimes. So if if you've been drifting off, welcome back. Verse 16. 
be not overly righteous. You okay with that? How righteous is God? On a scale of 1 to 10, is God like a 7? Because God's like, I don't want to be overly righteous. God's 10, 11, I don't know. He's, he's all, all of righteous, as righteous as you can get. So he's like, don't be overly righteous. You got to be like, what? Don't, what? Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Well, hold on. He just said, remember when I was pointing it out when we were reading through it? Wisdom does what? It protects and preserves. You don't be overly wise? Wisdom is like the thing that everyone wanted to be. It'd be like going to a CrossFit gym and saying, don't be overly healthy. What? Do not make yourself, or do not, do not, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Like that stuff will just kill you. And do not be overly wicked, nor be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Self-destruction in that. It is good that you should take hold of this, like really understand this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Both of them being, being overly righteous, being overly wise, or being overly wicked. What on earth can that mean? Here's what I think it means. Here's what I think it means, based on the context. Okay? So remember the context. He says in verse 13, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? He's talking about our propensity to want to control our lives. We want to control the lives, maybe, of our children and try to sin-proof our kids and think, if I can control their environment enough, I can make sure sin never comes into their life. And they never have to suffer, and they never rebel if I can control their environment enough. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? Like, can that work? And, and then he goes on here in verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. Have some humility. Remember that God's in charge, and you are not. And then he says, I've seen a righteous man... Do everything right and die young, and I've seen a wicked man do everything wrong and live forever. Here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, you can't be righteous enough you can't be righteous enough to produce heaven on earth. You can't be righteous enough to control your environment and control how God has to interact with you. You can't be righteous enough to demand a right, good, enjoyable life from God. You can't, you can't be so righteous and so right that you can make demands on God and say, God, you have to do this for me because I've been doing that for you. You can't do it. And I think he's saying, nor be too wise. I think he's saying, you can't get so wise that you can protect yourself from all pain, all sorrow, all death. You can't do it. And trying to do that is self-destructive because you're trying to do something that only God can do. 
So he's saying, let go of that, and instead, number three, fear the Lord. So you're going to fear the Lord, and in the fear of the Lord is saying, God, you are God, and I am not. And so I know that I can't be so righteous that I can make demands on you. I know I cannot be so wise that I can protect myself from all evil and all harm. And I'm certainly not going to rebel against you or embrace folly because I have a deep reverence for the Lord. So the good life fears the Lord, has a deep respect and reverence for the Lord, doesn't try to make demands on him. The good life rests in God's rule. The good life says, you're in charge and I'm not, and I'm just going to enjoy prosperity, and and when I'm in adversity, I'm going to remember that you're in charge and I am not. And the good life learns depth from grief, from pain, from frustration. Now, if you're here and you're going, I don't know, man, I'm really afraid of death. Like, I don't know how I'd ever embrace depth The thing I would offer you is, remember, he died for you so that you don't have to fear death. He bore your sin in your place so that you could be utterly and completely forgiven. And if you're like, I don't know, it's it's just I have a hard time trusting him with the future. I have a hard time giving my problems and my worries to him. I I have a hard time like just believing that he can take care of me. I just offer you, man, he is dying on the cross good and he is rising from the dead powerful and he is holding it all together smart. You can trust him. And if you're like, but there's so much evil in the world, there's so much wrong with the world and people are getting away with it and I just remind you, man, he's going to come again and he's going to judge the living and the dead. Fear him. Trust him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I do pray that you would do the work in us. Lord, help us to um, help us to fear you and learn from you. Let us grow deep, not be content with shallow. Lord, I pray that you would humble us when we're proud and encourage us when we're exhausted. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.